There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's US Open Finals catch-up. King Carlos becomes the youngest ever ATP world number one. Shiotek wins her third major. And Krachikova Sinyakova complete the career Golden Slam. Kim, today is the 12th of September and we are here to catch up on the US Open Finals at Tennis Weekly HQ. Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Swiatek are your men's and women's singles champions in New York City. And we are going to be here discussing, as always, the finals action. We're going to be revealing collector set winner as well. And I just felt that this has been a real collective effort over the last couple of weeks. You know, Chris has dutifully filled in when we have needed him and you know we started as a three and I felt that it was only apt that we end as a three as well. Absolutely. Uh, Chris we couldn't have done it without you. Uh, It's been a (laughs) a busy time for us all so thank you so much for stepping in and uh, we're very glad to have you back today uh, to cap off what's been a very interesting finals weekend at the US Open. It really has been. I think it's one that's kind of split everyone in terms of who thought who would win and what history would be made, who'd become world number one and can Iga win a Grand Slam on a hard court. It's been, um, everything has happened and I think no one could have predicted this at the start. Well, maybe except Kim, who predicted Carlos to win it. But apart from Kim, no one else got it right. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I on our preview pod, I did pick Alcaraz as the winner, but I, I changed my mind for collector set. So um, I should have I'll still give it to you. That's, that's, that's good enough. I'm not giving it to you. you. If you want to deviate, that's fine by you. Well, you know, he must have listened to me in some somehow because he's <laughs> a, a Grand Slam champion. He's world number one. Uh, mm. It's not often that you get two, you know, massive milestones in sport on the same day. I mean, it's it's just interesting how it's all turned up, how this final became all about, you know, a match for the world number one ranking, a match for a first Grand Slam title. It's... Um, just remarkable, really. And I mean, we all thought he'd get to be world number one at some point, but did we really think it would be so quick and he would do it at such a young age? I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is now the youngest ever world number one in ATP rankings history. Uh, well, since the like the open era. Um, also, the fourth Spanish world number one, can I just say? Um, but yeah, well, let's let's talk about the final, first of all. He won in four sets in his first you know, Grand Slam final. But I guess remarkably what he'd done to get to that point, so much time spent on court, so many five set matches going into it, you know, I I wasn't, you know, obviously present for your semi-final pod, but was thinking, is he a bit tired? I know he's 19, he's very fit, but it's a lot of time spent on court going into it. But I mean, how did you make of his performance to claim his first Grand Slam title? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really impressive. 
uh, particularly I think it all hindered to me anyway on that third set towards the end of it in the tie break you know Rude had his his chances he had multiple uh, set points and wasn't able to take them and you did feel you know just watching it on on TV that if Rude had taken one of those set points and gone two sets to one up given the amount of tennis that was already in Alcaraz's legs at that point to then go and win sets four and sets five felt like a, a very very tall order but I think it just shows the you know, the never say die attitude of Alcaraz that, you know, remember he was match point down against Yannick Sinner. Um, and to come back from that point to get to the final and then, yeah, have these moments where, again, he was, for me, almost kind of flirting with what felt like virtual match points to to Rude and to come through them and to play that tie break the way he did in the third set coming through 7-1 for me was... That was the moment when I thought, "Oh, hang on here, this is this is Carlos Alcaraz's time." And for me, th- that tiebreak really kind of set it all in terms of his attitude, how he was embracing the moment. And I think you know he's coming into this not with a great uh, tiebreak record, but he really felt like I think he needed he needed he needed to raise his game in that moment to make sure that Casper Ruud's chance um, wasn't going to be fulfilled. Yeah, I think. The tiebreak for me, this is a slight differing of opinion here because I feel like the tiebreak was such a letdown. I felt like that set, uh, that set was so tight and it had lots of kind of up and down moments. We were at one set all and that tiebreak needed to be exceptional and only one player brought their game. Casper hit, I think, four of the worst unforced errors he hit in the entire match. And in the interview afterwards, he said he still wasn't able to get over the fact he missed those two chances um, at 6-5 to break and I was watching it back and he said that Carlos played those um, points particularly aggressively and actually I think that Casper backed off and I think that's the difference between someone who's out there to win it and someone who potentially would like to be gifted it because he dropped a return of the 30-40 point so short and then Alcaraz punished it and I think it's that sort of youthful never say die sort of mentality that kind of got him through. But the tiebreak for me was a big letdown in this one. But still, it's impressive to keep your head. Do you think Rude got stage fright in after he got those set points when it was like a moment of realisation? It's like, oh, hang on. I could become Grand Slam champion and, and you know be world number one in the world. And it almost gave him yeah stage fright. And as a result, he got to the tiebreak and it felt like maybe, you know, maybe he already realised that, oh, you know my my moment's come and gone here I think he did for the first time he said he hadn't thought about the world number one really um going through the tournament and you know when you're up uh he wasn't up the first set obviously and that was where the match felt like it was turning around and yeah it's hard to you know that's the first time you're like oh goodness it's on my racket or it could be and that set did feel like it was but again it is so impressive as you've said it's almost like very fitting the way that Alcaraz came through because it's how he played the tournament you know always coming back um never thinking he was out of the running and every time he was down he produced something special yeah i mean he's got such a good five set record so even if rude had snapped you know set, you know got that third set whether it was you know with those set points or he had managed to get it in the tie break would were both of you thinking that carlos would would have come back and won in five anyway or do you think his legs would have got a bit too tired after all of those that time on court coming into it? i think it's you know He's had the most time on court to get to the point of winning a Grand Slam. 23 hours and 39 minutes on court, more than any other player 
in history uh, for winning their, their, you know, Grand Slam. So I know he's only 19. He should have the freshest legs of all, really. But um, do, do, do you still have seen him though, still winning in five? Or do you think it was that third no, set? All or I just couldn't. I think it was all or nothing for me on that on that third set. And uh, it was, you know, it, it was unbelievable. We don't, I feel like, associate doing these sorts of things, um, you know, at, at his age. And, you know, to see him do it, I think throughout the you know throughout the two weeks for me arguably was more impressive than the match itself you know I think the the journey coming through each of the matches you know going from five set match to five set match to five set match and then even this match even though it was as four sets was still very physical at times and although I think we've had more dare I say entertaining finals I feel like at times maybe the crowd was a little bit subdued um I think when you look back on just what he has gone through, it really shows, I think, you know, that I feel like that barrier that in order to break through to win your first Grand Slam, I always feel like it's the toughest thing to do. And I will always kind of think, look back on on his campaign here and, you know, just to show how tough it can be. um, I would look at how Alcaraz did it because you know, spending almost 24 hours on a, on a tennis court against such high level opposition in such a big environment when, you know, all the press and the media are, you know, fixated on you, particularly in, in the final rounds when, you know, Rafael Nadal's gone out, Daniel Medvedev's gone out. Um, they're all sort of, I think, kind of pointing to you. It's, yeah, it's been incredible. He really sees the moment. And I think that's something that we saw with Emma Raducanu last year. Um, and, when you haven't won that first slam final, it does get increasingly harder and it's in the back of your mind. I mean, that's yeah. the theme of of this um, finals weekend. Obviously, Ons and Casper have both had two finals mm. this year and I don't think it made it that much easier for them to perform in this final. We asked the question, has, would it have helped having, the more, uh, having had that experience? And I think it actually makes it almost harder to get over the line and going into sort of the... The third, if they do reach a third final, I think it will always be in the back of their mind, unless they do a Simona Halep, you know, and then th- three's a charm. But it's something that it doesn't get easier. And so I think for Casper, that moment where he thought about it, that could really be something that if he is in a winning position again, um, it's hard to not think about it in that moment. Yeah, and I think for for Casper Ruud, although he had that experience of being in a slam final earlier this year where... You know, he was facing Rafa on clay at Roland Garros. His idol, yeah. Exactly. Very, very difficult. But also this this match against Alcaraz, you know, who, no offence to Casper Ruud, probably does everything just that little bit better than than Ruud on a tennis court and is kind of the shining star and darling and of the tour. And, you know, this season he's been one of the standout players. So also a very different um, prospect to to come up against. And, you know, he did did very, very well, um, Casper. You know, he, he... got that second set he drew the match level could easily have gone two sets to one up so yeah it could have been a different story um and I perhaps going into it I was thinking that he had a bit more of a chance whereas now I'm I'm thinking in retrospect oh yeah this was always maybe meant to be Alcaraz he wasn't gonna let that one go um I mean Alcaraz just remarkable really because we're not even probably seeing him at his best like he's only 19 he's got a long way still to, to go and to develop it's what his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero, said that he thinks he's only at about 60%. That's of scary. What he can be, which does that give <laughs> any hope to anyone else if that is the Might truth. as well pack up now. 
yes, give up. <laughs> um, what I think is also nice is that Alcaraz has said he will play the Davis Cup next week, um, despite having spent, you know, I don't know, 24 hours plus on a court to win his first Grand Slam title. Like he's obviously dedicated to playing for his, his country as well, which is super, super nice. Um, but yeah, I just think now he's got to where he's got to, world number one, first Grand Slam title. It's going to be now interesting to see how he acts and behaves now that he's achieved this feat and where where he goes next. Yeah, I think I, th- I think for me, what's interesting is that I certainly think you know the the setup he has around him, the camp he has around him. This does this certainly does not feel like job done here. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about Carlos Alcaraz in terms of you know how you know how many Grand Slam titles is he going to win in his career? I guess my question, Kim, you picked up on it. The fact that Juan Carlos Ferrero, his coach, said he thinks he's only at 60% of his game. He can improve a lot of things. Where, where? I mean, question to both of you, where do you think that 40% lies in terms of improving his game? Because I thought it was really interesting that I think Tim Pemberton on commentary yesterday spoke about, he didn't feel like Carlos Alcarad had any weak, weaknesses. He spoke about it more like there were just areas that were just not uh, as strong as, as others. Um and I sort of see what he's saying in terms of I watch his game on court, and there are times when I just think, like, how do you how do you beat this guy? Because he's just so competitive. He has, you know, really strong. He's really strong willed, particularly in the in the big moments. He's an entertainer, and even the shots where I'm thinking oh, maybe there's you know maybe there's a chance to improve, they're still pretty solid. I mean, for me particularly, the backhand. I thought, you know, the Alcaraz backhand and the rude backhand. I think there's a quite a little bit of difference there and I think that was for me one of the the shots that certainly was in in Alcaraz's favor of you know from the back of the court when it was in a kind of a rally situation but where do you think where do you think that other 40 percent lies it's got to be mental I feel it I think he's got the physicality he's obviously developed pretty young he's got all the shots I think it's the the nature of being able to get it done quite quickly and I think that's something where we've seen in this tournament, he might win the first set and then he has a bit of a dip. And I think that's something where if you think about the nature of the game, he does end up in lots of long points and kind of ceiling points that he shouldn't necessarily be winning. But I think it's more about actually dictating the play. Um, there are no weaknesses in his game. I think his serve could probably improve and it will improve as he you know, gets stronger if that's possible. But I think there's definitely opportunities on the serve to improve, on the second serve to improve. But I mean, all players keep working their serve as they develop and it's something that everyone has to keep keep working on. But I think it is the nature of putting people away that bit sooner and trying to keep that concentration so that it doesn't take, you know, a tweener or some sort of uh, incredible retrieval Miracle skills. Shot. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it means that you're able to... Um, conserve some of the energy I mean clearly he's got enough energy he doesn't need to conserve it but I think it's about that um becoming as now he's the number one becoming that dominant force um and not kind of having to go to five sets against almost anyone but that's obviously not too fair he did win several matches in straight sets this tournament but you know what I mean no I get you I think um yeah avoiding the five sets uh would be better for and the match going forwards. <laughs> yeah oh, no learning how to convert break points against like Yannick Sinner because I think that mm. was his issue previously when they've played is it's just uh Sinner's been able to save so many break points but he, you know he's obviously 
got over that sinner hurdle, but yeah, had to save a match point to get there. And I mean, what a way to come through and win your first Grand Slam title. Um, you know, just a note on Kasparud, he is world number two. So he is, you know, his ranking has significantly gone up. I was looking at the rankings earlier. It's all very close. You know, there are kind of 20 points that separate some of the guys in the top 10. So it's subject to to change. I think Alcaraz is about a thousand points ahead at the top now. I, I think though Kasparud has he shot himself in the foot by going to world number two. He can't play he can't play ATP two fifties on clay as world number two, can he? <laughs> well Oh yeah, why not? You know, I think it's um <laughs> why not skip, points. <laughs> skip skip the Grand Slams and just add a European no. <laughs> clay court swing in. <laughs> he could um, own I mean, the golden swing next year if he wanted to. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean just on, on Kasparud, I mean where where does this Grand Slam put him you, you spoke about the parallels with him and, and on Zubor the fact that there have been multiple slam finalists this season but both times have ended up as the the runner-up do you do you give get, get, do you gain confidence from the performance he's put out here against Carlos Alcaraz that he could be a grand slam champion in in the future or do you or do you think you know this doesn't bode well in the sense that we're seeing Alcaraz arguably peaking now and and maybe we thought actually there was a few more years for Rude and other players to maybe get some titles before you know the era of Alas Alcaraz might be be ushered in where do you think Casper Rude is at the moment in terms of how close he is to being a Grand Slam champion well he's playing fantastic tennis um and he's played some of the best hardcore tennis we've ever seen him play so I think when he was talking afterwards he's obviously got to be pleased with his performance because as we said, I mean, I had him to go out in the first round. He was a 65 to, to one to outsider. To yes, Kyle to Kyle Edmund. Edmund. That was uh, very yes. ambitious. That's... You know what? I just thought back the Brits. I just thought Kyle's back. He's inspired. <laughs> and Ben Shelton had just taken him out to three and three. So uh, 65 to one is the outsider. I think even kind of Casper wouldn't have seen himself in the finals. Seems to be what he said. So I don't think that there's any reason to be down on himself in this. He put in a better performance than the last Grand Slam finally had. So there's lots of things you can take from a confidence perspective. I think getting to the final in the future won't be like something I, th- I think obviously he could do that. He's demonstrated he can. But I think it's that winning mentality that um, it's a bit harder to close a Grand Slam than it is a 250 based on what we've seen so far. I think he's got to hope that he just doesn't come up against someone who is either a, you know, Rafa or a Djokovic or an Alcaraz. Um, mm. I think if he'd like, for example, come up against, I don't know, Kachanov in the final rather than the semi, like I would have gone for, for Rude to win that. So I think it's, it is it is a sort of element of luck of the draw as well. But really until then, he's got to develop that extra something that is going to mean he can compete in a Grand Slam final against, you know, the, the, the big, big, big guys. Um, but... I don't think it's, I think, I can see him winning a slam. I can see him, I can see him winning a slam. French Open? You think he's, do you still see him more as a clay court? It's, it's got to be Wimbledon. He loves the grass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. We've seen some strange things, haven't we? In, well, in Sharapova court. became a clay court specialist by the end of her career. So maybe mm. it will be a, yeah. a 180 for him and he'll just love the grass of SW19. Or maybe the yeah. clay, or maybe clay, maybe still clay, maybe <laughs> it's, French Open. Well, it's it's funny because you speak about his, you know, his mentality, and I think he's got a really cool, calm mentality. I think we saw that on the court. He's not a very vocal player like I think Alcaraz. When you know he's looking for for inspiration, you know, he'll 
you know, put his arms about and, and kind of G up the crowd. I think I think that was sort of what was one of the more kind of compelling factors kind of watching it on TV last night was, yeah, for me, Rude was very measured in his approach. And I, I sort of felt like, you know, based on his experience at Roland Garros that, you know, that was that that's the way that kind of um, that, that kind of works for him. And I do think he has a, I like to think anyway, he has like a champion's mentality. You know, he's got great gamesmanship. He gave a point um, to Alcaraz, I think, on a, on a double bounce early on um, in, in the final yesterday, which was you know, great to see. He didn't even wait for the, the replays to come up on the screen. Um, but yeah, I certainly think there are opportunities to work on some of his, his shots. I still think his backhand side is a little bit weaker than than his forehand. And maybe he didn't get as many free points as he was hoping to um yesterday but yeah he's still got all the tools there that do make you think that you know he we could be talking about him as if in the future as a, as a grand slam champion and as a world number one as well i mean it's uh yeah i think i mean he's what i liked is that they're both nice blokes as well at the end of the day they're they're they're, they're good guys aren't they and um it was a nice final and i think it was it was good for tennis that we had this kind of like both players potentially being you know like winning to become world number one and I just think yeah this is is a great story and I think Alcaraz is someone who can maybe get a new generation of fans on board as well they see him they see how young he is how exciting he is and people who may have got a bit bored of the the big three and the big four may be thinking oh yeah this it's this guy's turn now I'm gonna follow him so yeah how did you feel kind of watching it based on the fact that yeah this was you know, a final between two relative novices compared to, you know, no no big three involvement, you know, no no Rafa, no obviously Djokovic not there. Um, you know, no Federer. How did it how did it feel kind of watching this? Did it feel like did it feel like a moment to you in terms of actually this is now the moment that we're gonna see more and more of these finals between players that, you know, have not been at this stage before. I, I, you know, granted that, you know, this season still three of the four slam champions have been Rafa or, or Novak, but how did it make you feel watching this final and it specifically being two relative, relative novels at this, you know, stage in the competition? I think it's a shame, you know, that um, we haven't been able to have kind of all of the top sort of players. When we talk about the big three, obviously it's been a while since Federer has played. We haven't had Djokovic at every slam for obvious reasons. So I think the hype and the way that people perceived the final, it definitely wasn't a bad tennis match. They pulled good numbers. They both had a good winner to unforced errors differential. But for me... Brought out all the celebrities as well? Oh, it certainly did. But I also think it's um, something where I do miss having I would have loved it if he'd got the chance to win it against one of the big ones you know and I think that's something that there is always that question around this sort of stuff but that's why I was actually very pleased that Carlos did win because he has beaten obviously in Madrid he took them both out to win to win the title so he has proved himself against them this year it's such a shame that we didn't necessarily get those well that match up in this tournament and that kind of the highest ranked player that he did play was the number five um in what was kind of uh, the top four seeds were kind of uh, not necessarily the big three or the big four as we know it or some of the, the higher ranked players that we've known over the years. So I'm kind of bittersweet about it. Very pleased that, that he won and that he was the person that won it. But for me, it lacked the fireworks. 
you want him to beat Djokovic or Rafa, basically. Uh, That's essentially what I'm after. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, oh, how many people were going to say this isn't like a, as credible a victory because he didn't have to beat a big three. But I don't think we've heard that as much as I No, it definitely is credible. Definitely is credible. I'm not saying that. I still think we're having those, still having those murmurs, not, not necessarily about the slam, but about the number one ranking. Because mm. Alcaraz is the number world number one, but the number of points he has is relatively few compared to, you know, some of the other active players when they had to reach, you know, number one for the first time. As a as a compa- comparison, Alcaraz six thousand seven hundred forty points. When Andy Murray had to, uh, when Andy Murray reached number one for the first time, he needed eleven thousand one hundred eighty five points. I mean, again, Kim, to your point. There are going to be people out there who I'm not saying any of us are, are one of them, but I, who knows? Maybe I'm not. Maybe, maybe you guys <laughs> on. But there are going to be people out there who just will say, "Yes, he's number one," but that has to have an asterisk next to it because Novak Djokovic, you know, hasn't been able to play the the whole season. I mean, where where do you guys stand on on this on this debate? I think I think for me, the, like rankings at the moment are just such a it's a great headline and it's it's amazing that you know he's done this you know at such a young age never never been done before youngest world number one but I still feel for me at the moment just rankings are a bit much of a muchness at the moment because of still we're trying to work out all these situations around you know coming out of the you know the pandemic how points are distributed all this sort of stuff and so maybe for me yeah world number one doesn't mean as much to me at the moment arguably than it it did say pre-pandemic. I feel like he's number one in the race, if that makes sense. That's what I feel. Mm. I feel like he is. He's played a lot of tournaments this year, but I do think if you've won two slams um, compared to kind of the rest of the field who who have have um, one slam each in terms of Alcaraz and Djokovic, and Djokovic obviously not being particularly active, it does put a slightly different lens on it, but I don't think it takes away from the achievement in terms of being able to to win a slam Say and be you're able the to... world number one yeah yeah and he's one masters ahead of this it's not like it's um a result that's come out of nowhere i mean people did call it and kim obviously did call it it's not something that's kind of come out of no form so i don't think it's too much of a question but i do think the rankings and that's an atp issue rather than an alcaraz issue you know not you can't take anything away from the fact that he is now the world number one based on the tournaments he's played and the uh, the points he's won from them yeah, precisely. And um, at least we don't we don't have a situation like where, I don't know, Wozniacki or Pliskova were top of the WTA tour and everyone was having a go at them for not having won a slam at the time. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll give Alcaraz story. his due. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we sound like we're being really negative. Um, no, we love just, it. <laughs> um, just a note on another final that happened on the Sunday, which was the ladies doubles final. Another really, yeah, remarkable kind of outcome. A really nice uh, Barbora Krachikova and Katerina Sinyakova. Um, they won their first US Open title, which now means that they've done the career Golden Slam. So they've won all the slams. They've won the Olympics. They've won the world, um, not the World Tour finals, the WTA finals <laughs> as well. Um, they were a set and four one down to Katie McNally and Taylor Townsend. They fought back to win, uh, dominating that third set 6-1. And, and yeah, just just really nice. They obviously are such a, a cracking, cracking team, as we know, and um, they've the first, I think, women's doubles team to have done um, the, the career golden slam now, um, plus the WTA final. So, yeah, making history. Are we are we still talking about 
Barbora Krachikova is a like a as leading a lady singles in, champion, as a, a leading lady <laughs> well. in like singles and doubles. Or are we back to Barbora Krachikova like double specialist? Are we, is that a bit too soon? Um, a bit too soon. She's coming mm. back from injury. She has won ten Grand Slams in total. One of them was singles, you know. So, um, <laughs> I just think we, it's she's obviously a very good doubles player. Um, and Joel, you do love to. If someone's too good at doubles, you're like, just play doubles. Just stick with the doubles, like um, <laughs> Mertens. You're like, is she? Is yes. she just a doubles player? Yes. But she can obviously play singles as well, Joel. <laughs> also, there shouldn't be any of this just a doubles player because is Coco yes. Goss still doubles world number true. one? And she could have, you know, she got to the quarters mm. and has been a, you know, slam singles. Joe Salisbury, not just I a doubles like player. Goff, yeah. Goff has taken over. Goff has taken over from Kachikov in my book as the as the leading lady on in singles and doubles at the moment. Okay. I mean, wasn't Ash Barty number one at the same time or in both or a top 10 in both? She Something had some like good that. ones. I think Ostapenko yeah. is one of my uh, oh, yes, top for both. She's yeah. just reached a career high uh, WTA doubles <laughs> ranking coming off this tournament. I think she might be uh, live ranking number seven. Please correct me if I'm wrong, either of you. I'm not sure you're following <laughs> that one quite as closely as me. But she's <laughs> no, got a... she's been playing with Kitchenork or something, hasn't she, of late, I think. Yeah, they've been putting yeah, it together. Yeah. They, they, um, I think they had going into this mm. tournament, I think like three third set tie breaks. So... They, they get it done the hard way. But, but this I know, was a fantastic achievement from the Czech pair. Um, but also think... from Taylor Townsend, Chris. Because oh, I yes. know that you, you're quite a fan of Taylor Townsend. And obviously she got to the final uh, at her home slam, unseeded. But they, they almost did it. They, they could have won. But Taylor Townsend, she's got quite an interesting backstory, hasn't she? I think, was it 10 years yeah. ago? She was rejected by the USTA, essentially. Wasn't given her funding anymore. Yeah, it was a really shocking story. And she wrote um, a piece recently um, in the Players' uh, Tribune about this. And what happened was she was the world number one in singles um, as a junior. And at the time, she was given a call which said that she had to go on an eight-week training camp because they thought she wasn't fit enough. Um, and that would mean missing the US Open. And so essentially, they were taking that opportunity away from her. And they said that if she didn't go on the fitness camp, then she wouldn't get um the funding to go so she actually self-funded her trip to new york that year as the world number one in juniors and she won the junior doubles titles and reached the quarterfinals in the singles and when she was asked in a press conference why she hadn't had a wild card as the junior number one to the main draw she thought you know what i'm just going to tell them everything that's happened and she did and after that she did get her funding um uh she didn't get her funding uh, taken away but it then meant that they did pay for her travel there and it was a very big story but it definitely created a big rift between her and um the usta and so it's fantastic after everything she's been through to be able to play this tennis again she's had a, she's had she's a mother now she reached a semi-final at the french open with madison keys and it's just a shame she couldn't get those last two games after putting together such a fantastic final mm. up to that point it would have been a real up yours moment wouldn't it if uh if if she had won the the title, because from from reading about it, Patrick McEnroe uh, of the USTA was was sort of part of that controversy you're talking about relating to her fitness mm-hmm. when she was uh, you know a, a, a very very good junior, um, and he was he was there at the presentation for the doubles trophy uh, yesterday. Just reading about that, that that for me was a little bit beggar's belief. I could I couldn't believe that. 
they would court controversy or just maybe incite it a little bit by by having him present it wasn't a good look and I think there's a lot of things that have happened in Taylor Townsend's career where a lot of people have said a lot of things and I'm sure when you look back at someone like Serena's career as well a lot of people would have said who were very influential said things that would not well definitely now are not acceptable so I think it's that the nature of the institution is that she was always kind of um against against the 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 norm and um, she was made to feel like that. So getting to a Grand Slam final and playing as well as she did, I think it's so impressive that she said that everything that she's done at this point is on her. It's not because of opportunities she's had. She's done it. And I think she can be very proud irrespective of that. And the future looks looks bright for her, especially when it comes to doubles. Yeah, exactly. So really nice that she's sort of had a had a good fortnight at the US Open uh, after all of the stuff that she's been through. So um, yeah, good good positive outcome I think all round for for the participants of the ladies double fight doubles final. And um, we'll be catching up on more finals action after a short break. So do not go anywhere. We'll also be revealing our collector set winner, which is very very exciting. <laughs> Welcome back to our US Open Finals catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to the Ladies Singles Final now, uh, which took place on Saturday evening. Uh, we've already alluded to the winner, of course. Um, Iga Svontek has won her third Grand Slam title, her first on a hard court. And uh, she did that by beating Onjabor in straight sets, 6-2, 7-6. Uh, so another disappointment for Onjabor, second straight Grand Slam final loss in a row. Uh, but Iga Shriontek proving once again that she is an absolute demon when it comes to finals. I think she hasn't, she's only ever lost one final in her whole career, which was the first final she ever played age 17 uh, or something. Since then, she's won every final, I think, in straight sets. I mean, going into a final, having that record, you must think that you're kind of untouchable almost, wasn't you? It's, it's crazy. I'm not going to lie. I was still sceptical. And, and me and Chris on our semi-finals pod, we definitely differed on what sort of Shriontek we, we were going to get in the final. Because I, I felt based on the performances we've seen this tournament that Jabor really had a good chance of, of winning. Um, but I didn't I didn't factor in that, that Shriontek was going to just elevate her level to a level, quite frankly, in that first set. I, I don't think we had seen you know, since the, you know, this, you know the, the clay season, really. And that really did take me by surprise. I think it took Jabor a little bit by surprise as well, because it was such a quick start. And that first set was over in, you know, in a flash. 6-2, 30 minutes. Shiontek, 90% first serves in. Her return game was exceptional. She got 100% uh, returns in play. 19 of 19, three of four break points won. It, it really did catch me and I think a lot of a lot of people by surprise but Chris you weren't surprised because you said on I remember you said on the semi-finals catch-up that you think she needs to play her you know her best game of the tournament and you know she went and did that yeah I mean I'm not gonna you said it not me Joel I haven't brought it up um (laughs) I was just gonna very humbly just talk about how the match went and not draw attention to the fact that I got this prediction right um but no, I think, as, as I said, like she, if she played her best and if she turned up like she's turned up in finals, she'd be very, very tricky to beat. And Ons did do uh, a good job considering that Iga was playing so well in the first set to make it close. And, she, and Ons was obviously struggling to play her best game. And 
it could have almost gone to three. I think I messaged you and said, like, after the first 15 minutes, I was like, this is... This is giving me Pushkova, Pushkova Wimbledon vibes. <laughs> you got nervous early. Yeah, you, you abandoned <laughs> your ons prediction after the first change of ends. Yeah, I was um, like, oh, what have I done? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's, I mean, as, as we said, if you get to the final, and Carlos said sort of a similar thing. He said that when you're in a final, everything changes. He forgot he was tired, um, that he had all those hours of, of running in his legs. And it's almost like Iga just wiped the slate clean of the, the sort of the hiccups against Yul Niemeyer, like, you know, when we were on Kim, uh, what was it, last week? And uh, we were worried about how that result was going to go. We thought it was um, looking unlikely. And then she stormed back to take it six love in a flourish. So I think it's, um, it doesn't matter how you get to the final. Once you're there, um, it, it's what, what game you bring on the day. Bit like Alcaraz, you know, he had to kind of scrap through a few five set matches. Wasn't always pretty. <laughs> wasn't always pretty. Shrontek, you know, as you said, had has not played her best tennis this fortnight. Um, she'd be the first to admit that, but she did what she needed to do. And then once she got to the final, the final form of Shrontek that we know kind of came came to the fore. And Jabal was not at the races, hence the outcome that we got. I I will say though, what still for me wasn't pretty in the final was that match point i i she went and got her a new racket uh whilst jabor was was serving um i know after the match jabor said that she wasn't even aware that that Sviontek did that because it, it happened so quickly she was so focused but i certainly think in terms of how that looked to the crowd and how that looked to me on tv i i didn't think that was particularly sportsmanlike and Again, there's been call-outs specifically of Shiontek's net play. Um, there's been a few instances, again, I saw in, in, in the final where she does this thing. She likes to wave her racket, doesn't she, when the ball is still in play with the, the opponent. And again, I think Mark Petri on commentary at the time was said, you know, is that hindrance? Um, you know, is she, is she actively putting off the player? And, you know, I think there are people out there who will say, you know, this is, you know, Shiontek's such a unique and quirky character and you know this is one of her you know personality traits on on the tennis court but for me there are a couple of instances where I'm a bit like I would have a if I was in in her coaching team I would be saying have a think about how that projects I feel onto the tv because you're such a great personality you've got such a great game but some of these things I feel don't necessarily adhere you to to all the tennis fans Goodness, Joel, I feel like you're really coming for eager there that was a double whammy I think (laughs) when it came to the most polite way possible Yes, I do agree that it was very odd to decide to change your string tension and swap your racket when match point down, and it wasn't on her serve. So that's the bit that I didn't necessarily like, is that she made Ons no. wait to serve. And obviously you're supposed to, she hadn't broken a string, and you're supposed to play to the speed of um, your opponent. So that is a bad look, I would say that. You just know if that is someone like a Yastrzemska or an Ostapenko, if if she I mean, I'd is be furious. The, well, oh no! If if Shiontek is running to sort her, her racket out, I'd just I'd just put my serve in and be like, "Hey, you gotta play to my speed. I, you can go you can go away and, and change your racket." But God, that would make tennis Twitter, Joel. If you did that, that would definitely make tennis Twitter. <laughs> but I think um, when it comes to the the thing at the net where she sort of like spreads both arms and kind of dances around at the net to try and distract the opponent, it's like a, it's like a snow angel sort of. Most yeah, it, it is unusual. Like upright I, snow angel. Where do we? Maybe we need Kim to decide this on the hindrance. I think that based on what we read in the rules, 
it would be hard to prove it was hindrance because that could be what would give her the best chance of getting the ball back by having the maximum sort of wingspan. I'm not sure what you could say. Like different people have different ready positions. Mm. Navratilova said it wasn't hindrance, but I kind of feel like it it would impede on your opponent. If that's in my eye line, of... if that is in my eye line and I put the ball into the net, I think I've got a good argument to make to the umpire to be like, you know, she's she's trying to put me off by. You know, making not like making a silly face, but like making. <laughs> Can you silly, imagine? Like a silly, <laughs> silly body movement. I don't know. Define silly. I think it's quite hard, isn't it? To you. I think I agree. That yeah. it, it didn't feel things. natural. It didn't feel it felt natural. comic. <laughs> it, she was like raising yeah. her racket. It wasn't like coming down or getting into the ready position. It didn't feel like anyway. She doesn't mm. strike me as the sort of person that would resort to kind of. Petty. It wasn't gamesmanship. No. I think no. she just thought it would give her the best chance, but it just came across badly potentially. But still, it was a great um, performance from her. But what do you think for for Ons? Were you slightly disappointed? I know that Joel, you had high hopes. Yeah, I, I, I. Do you know what? I was actually impressed by how she bounced back from that that first set and was able to take it to a tiebreak because. Uh, as Kim, you alluded to, Shiontek's record in finals has been unbelievable, and I don't think she's she's not even come close to facing, uh, you know, going the full distance in the set to a tiebreak before, you know, the the ladies' final in in New York. So that for me was impressive. Um, again, I do wonder, and I think you know she she spoke about it in the match in the press conference afterwards that I think there was still a bit of scar tissue there from the the Wimbledon final and it stopped her it stopped her from starting I think you know on on the right foot and I think again it really kind of calls into question I think her approach and how she starts a, a Grand Slam final and uh felt to me like she was very much in her shell and you know not playing necessarily to her strengths I think she could have gone to the crowd a bit more I think she could have involved them a bit more um you know, it didn't feel like she was confident in in all of her shot making capabilities. We didn't really see a lot of the, you know, the backhand slice. The drop shot wasn't functioning as as well as we've seen it in the past. Um, so for me, I think there's still, you know, if if I look at Rude and and Jabor and and think, yeah, there are there are definite parallels there in terms of what they've accomplished this season. I, I still actually think you know Rude maybe is a little bit closer to to winning a Grand Slam versus Onjabor based on yeah, just just based on what we've seen so far and also the fact that Iga Sviontek just feels like she's streets ahead of, of everyone else at the moment. There definitely wasn't the clarity of thought for some of Jabur's shot making. I mean, she almost did a couple of, I mean, some of the worst drop shots I've ever seen her hit at times, which were not opportune. Uh, so I think that there's there's something in it where she she obviously isn't able to play necessarily her best game or the game played to her strength um as you say like she was hitting the ball a lot more than she was slicing she wasn't giving eager as many different looks on the ball as she's given her opponents and made it really difficult such as when she played Garcia so I think it is um it is a shame but I don't know what do you think Kim do you think um this is a bit of a disappointing performance or can she take a lot from it I think she will be disappointed that it wasn't closer and I know obviously she did break back in that second set and take it to the tie break but um I think obviously it, it could very well have been a bit of a, a more comfortable win for Sviontek which I think she'd be disappointed at because I mean really she 
she she did better in the Wimbledon final, you know, getting it mm. that first set. And so you could kind of say, oh, this is a bit of a regression. However, it is the world number one that you're up against who has a ridiculous level in finals. Um, but I think, you know, she's she's certainly that both of these players have the, the most match wins from the, I think the last two seasons on the tour. She's, you know, definitely improved so much from where she was. She's obviously got a really good attitude. She's always developing. So I certainly think, She's a player that at her time, I, I do think she'll win a Grand Slam one day. And I, I don't know, I, I kind of disagree. I think she's more likely to than Casper Reed. So I, I also agree with that. I think yeah. <laughs> I can see her getting one. Sorry, Joel, we're ganging up on you in this one. Okay. Okay. She's got the magic. She's got the magic, I, the ons magic. I, do you not think Iga Shontek is, you know, there's already talk about the fact that, you know, she's won two Grand Slams this season. Going into, going into next season, uh, do you see. Do you see that continuing? Do you see, I mean, dare I say, talk of a career calendar slam or completing Ooh. the set? Do you think do you think that that's is on a, the cards based a... on based on the level well, we have seen? I'm struggling to think of who is who is formidable enough that is going to come up against Iga Sviontek and and defeat her. And all I all I'm coming back with is if is only if Ash Barty comes out of retirement at the moment. Really? I was thinking, what if she's in a final again against Polona Hercog? Like, you know, back in the day when she <laughs> she lost that that first final. Very true. Very um, true. Her nemesis. But I think a lot of the, the pundits have said, and Mats Wilander said, that she is just head and shoulders above the rest, he believes, in terms of she moves better than anyone else on the tour. And some of her movement, especially to her backhand side, is it does make me gasp, like how she managed to get herself into position to put so much work on the ball whilst being almost off balance. So... There are aspects of her game that are unbelievable and her shot making is good. We talked about the serve. If the serve isn't on song, you'll get some opportunities. But I mean, as you say, like her I, I wouldn't be surprised. Her return game again she... is so... It is good, so yeah. Good that yeah. Even when she does, like for example, in the final, whenever she did get broken, we saw some great responses in terms of breaking straight back. And again, it, it, for me, it, you can never, I feel like rest easy with, you know, field tech across the, the net for you. Even if you've, just broken her it's not you know it's not a done deal until you can you know you serve out your game and I think that's been one of the the impressive things about her the last over the last two weeks is that when her service games haven't you know gone to gone to plan and there have been you know occasions through the the tournament when that's happened her return game has really come in to the to focus there and you know it she's been able to to break her opponents at times it felt like, you know, at, at will just to keep her, you know, to keep her in the, in the sets. Yeah. Eager and Carlos, they both have that champions mindset that we've seen in so many of the great players over the years. Some of the, the stats are that she's kind of the first player to win three majors at the age that she is since Sharapova and all the different comparisons you can have in terms of the fact that she's won her third major before turning 22. And that's the likes of like, Justin Ennis, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Monica Seles, Steffi Graf, Chris Everett, like the company she keeps. I mean, those are all absolute legends of the game. So who's to say? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised you picked up another couple of Grand Slams next year, but I can't see that can't happening see across all slam. four. Oh, I mean, it's just... Kim, I think that's a bit... help me yeah, out. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, I know. I've just been listening to you to debate. I, I don't... <laughs> Ringleader. I, yeah no I, I'm not saying it Kim I feel yet. like you're just like collect you're just like 
you're just Correcting nodding in disapproval <laughs> in in silence being saying? like what is joel saying here what are you going on about <laughs> yeah i know no, I, mean, <laughs> I just i'm very conscious about like not getting carried away um mm. because i don't think she needs to do the calendar slam to like prove anything i think i've over the course of her career i i have confidence that she would you know win all all four slams mm. um that's a Wimbledon, better answer, Kim. Wimbledon being the one that she'd need to work a bit more on, obviously, as as for most people. But uh, yeah, I think obviously she's so young as well, isn't she? It's um, crazy how much she's been able to achieve at such a young age as well. I mean, are you worried that, you know, Onzi Bohr, we've been saying, is the de facto like world number two in the women's game at the moment and Sriantec defeated her in straight sets and, you know, a, you know a, a common talking point of the, the tour this year has been about who were the rivalries that are going to excite people and interest people and bring people into tennis. Is there a, a nervousness or a worry that, you know, we, we're nowhere nearer any sort of rivalry because the dominance of, of Shiontech is just so much at the moment that it's, it, it, is it detrimental to the, to, you know, the advertisement of, of women's tennis when, you know, we're, we're thinking, oh, I guess Shontek's, you know, winning again versus, you know, oh, really compelling rivalries. And actually, if Onzibor had won, you know, in in the US Open final, it would have made been like, oh, you know, that that could that could lead to something a bit more with a bit more edge and a bit more a bit more spice to it. They're both bringing great things to the game. I think Onz and Eager are two players that are definitely doing the WTA proud in terms of they're putting together those amazing results. They're putting together the results that are consistent across the season, especially at the slams and the big tournaments. I think I have a disappointment with the WTA at the moment that there's, as you say, Joel, I'm going to put you on blast again with the part-time player. There are a lot of players that don't always play and don't always play kind of at their best and or for various reasons, they're not able to play in all the tournaments that are happening. We just do not get many top 10 versus top 10 uh, matchups uh, at Grand Yeah, did yes. you see this... the, the stat that was, mm. this was the first slam this year where there were top 10 matchups and the first yeah. quarterfinal of a Mind Grand blowing. Slam that was between two seeded players to reach that stage. And that just shows that it's the top players, like for example, I mean, Annette Contevet, who's obviously a good player. She might be a top 10 player. She's not a world number two. And I feel like the fact that she can reach that stage without really putting together any wins in Grand Slams, I think it does show that the WTA is kind of in a bit of a... It can produce great matches, but there, it just, yeah. just doesn't feel like there's rivalries that, mm. you know, can do that. And and maybe Iga Sviontek is a symptom of that based on just how good she is. Well, you can't blame her for being too good. I mean, it's, no, it's, I it's like, it's not her fault. <laughs> no, but... I kind of will, Kim. <laughs> but I think the others... <laughs> Joel, Joel is good. He's going to blame her for it. Yeah, I don't know where this, I don't know where this angst has come from. I, maybe I'm just really annoyed about how she conducts herself at the net. I think it was oh, the racket maybe. change. The racket change, that was it. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that she's so good and even like when she's not playing her best can win a Grand Slam, that is like, a, she's a new target now and that should hopefully compel everyone to try and mm. reach her level. And, you know... And a compel bit like... Ash Barty to come out of retirement. Well, you never know, do you? <laughs> that was that was a very premature retirement, in my opinion. So um, there's yeah, whole whole host of things there. But yeah, I mean, what what do you think? Like looking back at all of maybe the women's Slam finals then from this year, do you think that we've had? Obviously, I mean this this final we had Shvontek Shabor that was more competitive than the French Open final with uh, Coco Goff. But um, 
where do you? I mean, I mean, for me, I think the Wimbledon final was probably the the stand the standout one amongst them all. But I don't think we've had any sort of real classics. I think that would be going a stretch to say that they've been they've been that. And I, I see what you're saying, Joel. But I think that Shvontek, having carved out this kind of status now for herself, I think hopefully that's going to drive everyone up to meet her. I just want to see great tennis players playing their best tennis in finals. And I think we haven't necessarily had that in many of the Grand Slams. I think Rubikina played some of the best tennis I've seen all year in that Wimbledon final. She was playing unbelievably. But at that time, Ons was going off the boil. And in the same way, um, kind of in the eager Coco Goff final at the French Open, that one didn't really get going. And it had sort of a similar feel to this one where that second set um, in the US Open final we've just had, that was probably... a one of the most well it was the tightest set we've had but I would say Australia that for me with the added dynamic of Ash being Australian and that second set where Danielle Collins was really playing some great tennis I think that was probably the most engaged I've been in a uh one of the final this this year yeah I I'm with you I, I really enjoyed that Barty Collins final so I'm gonna put that up there I mean I, I, my final question to you both is do you prefer how I think we're getting to two very different places for the ATP tour versus the WTA tour, because on the WTA tour, Kim, as you said, we're getting to this point now where it's like Shiontech is so <laughs> streets ahead of everyone else. I think she's got more ranking points than the, the, the rest of the top 10 combined. Um, so she's got a target on her back and that is compelling in the sense of you're wondering, Oh, who's the next challenger? Could they defeat Shiontech versus the ATP tour where, it feels a lot more bunched together. You know, for example, in the final, Kasparu could have jumped from ranking number seven to ranking number one. Um, and as a result there, it feels like we've got that opportunity to break, to, you know, have those rivalries. You know, Alcaraz-Sinna, for example, great matchup um, you know, in, in the quarterfinals. What is more compelling to you? Is it that sort of challenger approach that we've got on the, it feels like we've we've got evolving on the, on the WTA tour or, on the ATP tour where it's like, we've got a bunch of players. There's not really one standout at the moment. Yes. You know, we've got a couple of aging, uh, you know, great greats, but um, we've got more opportunity to develop, you know, match rivalries. Yeah. I think it's the rivalry aspect, isn't it? I'm looking forward to more Alcaraz Sinner, for example, whereas on the WTA tour, I'm, I'm not, seeing Sloan anybody that's what I'm looking forward to <laughs> I'm still looking forward to, to Caroline Garcia completing the oh, full yeah. renaissance so in I mean, progress you know, who knows if it had been her against Eager in the final I'm pretty sure it would still have gone the same way with Eager winning but there we go <laughs> um let's touch base on all the other finals we've had because um there have been others I know we've you touched upon Joe Salisbury um, the other day, which is just brilliant uh, for Joe. But we had the mixed doubles as well. Uh, John Pierce and Storm Sanders uh, winning for Australia over Kirsten Flipkins and Edouard Roger Vasselin. I didn't know Roger Vasselin was still playing, actually. Um, I kind of thought he might have retired by now. And I thought Flipkins had retired, but obviously she has decided to do a bit of mixed doubles um why not but yeah Piers and Sanders won in a match tie break so that was their first title um I think it's the first time playing together yeah uh, especially first tournament. 
at a slam. So yeah, way to go. Um, and yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. You um, must be thrilled, Joel, by the way, because we were, he, Joel was the number one Storm Sanders supporter yes. at the Billie Jean King Cup. Oh, he had his Australia yes. shirt on. And oh, yes. Do you remember, I, I snuck in to go like three rows to the In almost the player box, them. yeah. Yeah, and I left you, you and in, the, in, the, in the top tier. I left you. Yeah, in the top I was like, tier. "Where's he gone?" And then I saw him down there. Yeah, you. yes. Yeah, I did join well, him eventually. In fairness, were but, um, you you're not there for for Sam Stozer? Have you moved on to Storm Sanders instead, Joe? I don't think Sam Stozer was there. Was she? Oh. Alicia Mollock was there. She was heading yes. up the team as the coach. <laughs> but um, but no, it's, I mean Storm. What what a year she had, uh, coming into the doubles. She had the semi-finals in the women's doubles as well. But I mean, is this, I think, wait, I think Sam Stozer was there cheering them on. So maybe she was the good luck charm they needed. Um, she's passed the baton on to another Australian. I think she's, <laughs> she's going to keep playing until her early 50s. This <laughs> um, and then in the juniors, we had two individuals from the Rafa Nadal Academy. Um, we had Alexandra Ayala from the Philippines uh, winning over Lucy Havre. Oh gosh, Lucy Lavichkova. <laughs> I think that might be right. I wanted to say Lavachkova, who is uh, obviously not a junior player but an existing player. Um, but yeah, first Filipino to win a Grand Slam Junior singles title, and then on the men's we had a Spanish um, player, Martin Landaluce, winning the men's. Uh, sorry, the boys' singles. So... Was he older than Carlos? <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, to be fair, he could be eighteen. He'd be around the same age, yeah. But great for Spain as well, because they also, in the wheelchair doubles, there was a Spanish guy who won the wheelchair men's doubles, uh, De La Puente and Pfeiffer. Uh, they beat Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed. Um, so they're, yeah, they, they didn't quite manage to get another slam, but they've got plenty, so we can't be too disheartened. Um, Alfie Hewitt did, however, win the singles in the wheelchair uh, event over Shingo Kuneda. And Joel, you'll be pleased that uh, Deirdre de Groot won both the singles and the doubles uh, with Van Coot. So obviously keeping that all going. But yeah, just a couple of the wheelchair results. They also did junior wheelchairs for the first time, which is fantastic. Amazing. So yeah, good stuff. But we do, um, we're running out of time, I have to say. So we do need to announce our collector set winner now. Um, which... Is it Joel? <laughs> <laughs> you were in the running, I was in you, the Joel? running. I was in the running. <laughs> and we had to do a tie break question. Uh, and the tie break question that we asked uh, the five individuals who were in the running was how many games would the loser of Alcaraz versus Kasparud score? Um, and we had various... Quite split. Yes, it was. split, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, I think three people went for... Um, well, something quite close to what actually happened. Um, so they thought it was going to be a bit tighter. And we had two that went for a much lower score. So they obviously thought it was going to be a bit of a drubbing. Uh, but yeah, we do have a winner and that is Becky Moran. So um, well done, Becky. You were the well closest. Done, yeah, you were the closest uh, to guess the number of games that the runner-up would win. And also Becky was the only person to predict that Alcaraz would win. So that was that's another that a flex. Well done. added bonus. And she also, yes. yeah, got Caroline Garcia correct as well. So um Becky, well done. Tennis Weekly Mud coming your way. Yeah, we've uh, been in contact, so we'll be sending out your your lovely prize uh soon. So thank you and well done. And thanks to everyone for taking part again in Collector Set. Uh we hope you enjoyed taking part. Yes, thanks everyone for taking part in Collector Set and also 
being with us for the last couple of weeks for our US Open round by round coverage. Hope you've really enjoyed listening to our thoughts at Tennis Weekly. Um, it's been a bit of a team effort this time round uh, with us and also Chris getting on board. So, Chris, just from myself and Kim, thank you so much for coming on and bringing all your thoughts uh, onto the show. So many thoughts. <laughs> I'm I'm just surprised you didn't bring out Rebecca Marino uh, in our in our final in our in our final one because she won today. She's in. She uh, did. In- She's in where is she? Chennai, is she? Chennai, yeah. She's in Chennai. Yes, she's seeded. Yes, indeed. A good first round win. (laughs) She Um, was the player that I said would definitely not be winning the US Open. Another prediction you got right, Kim. I know. Oh, that and Carlos. Absolute genius. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, just if we needed to know uh, a fact that I feel like we already know that that tennis never stops. Well, there you go. We already have Chennai. Uh, in the WTA talk going on, which is a 250 event. We also have Portrosh as well. Uh, Emma Raducanu, uh, guys, you're going to love this. Diana yes. Rostremska retired two points what? from defeat oh, against for Emma Raducanu. Oh, no. um, up to classic Yastrzemska tactics, but Raducanu top seed is through in front of a crowd of about four people. So uh, yeah, it's all back onto the tour. And uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our US Open coverage. We will be back. We will be going back into tour catch-up mode. We're going to have a little bit of a holiday. We won't be with you next Monday, but we will be with you shortly after. So uh, we're going to be going on our own holidays, having a little bit of a breather. But um, make sure to subscribe to us to stay up to date on the rest of of the tour action this season on whatever device you listen to us on we're on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the download tennis.com app and if you like what we're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter at tennis weekly pod so do give us a like and a follow if you do not already and you can also let us know all your feedback comments and any questions you may have for the tennis weekly mailbag and if you prefer you can email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website www.tennisweekly.co.uk And we will be back next time at Tennis Weekly HQ, back in tour catch-up mode in a couple of weeks. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. (laughs) 